today. What a mighty God that we serve in the house of the Lord today. Aren't you glad to be here? Aren't you glad to be alive and well? So good to see everybody this morning. I got a few announcements I want to make, and I want to get right into the Word. I want to finish up what we started last week. How many of you were here last week? My, the light are blinding me, so I don't know who raised their hand, but all right. If you weren't here last week, then guess what? I'm gonna give you a quick, I'll give you a quick overview or a summary of what we talked about, and uh, and that way everybody's on the same page. I do want to make a quick announcement for uh, these individuals. If you would stand really, really quick, it would uh, mean a lot to me. Uh, Harry Burgess, if you would stand. Harry Burgess, all right. And I need Susan Finley. You might as well stop in your tracks. She's already standing. Steve Mickler, if you would stand today. And also for Dee Wake. Are you? Where's Dee at? There we go. He's all the way in the back, back corner. These four have served faithfully on your pastor's council for the last two years. And so I want you to give them a big round of applause for this
I was so long last week that I'm happy to go for part two. Either way, we're in part two of this. And for you that may be wondering, there's only one projector today. If you're new to the church, guess what? Again, we got struck by lightning. We're working through it. Filed insurance this week. We'll see what's going to happen. We'll get back there. But thank God that we've got a church to meet in today and worship the Lord. So we talked last week. We started. We went into Jerusalem. We went into the rubble. We talked about how everything has been burnt down by King of Babylon. He's come in and absolutely leveled it, destroyed it. The gates are down. There's fire in the city. There are literally not one stone left upon another. Everything as they have known, it has fallen apart. We compared that last week to America, how that we see a moral degradation, moral degradation going on in our country. We talk about some moral issues. We talk about abortion. We talk about the God of Molech and how that in the Old Testament during these days they would actually sacrifice their babies to the God named Molech. And we talk about how abortion is the same today. How that unborn children are being sacrificed to that God of abortion. It's a work of the enemy. It's murder. We preach about those type things. But there's several points that we were making. The first one that we made last week and I'll reiterate some today is that the first thing that they did is they restored the order of the Lord. Now, in other words, when we walk into the city, there's nothing around. The first thing that the men of God did is that we need to rebuild an altar. So in the middle of all the rubbish for the first time, this is a powerful, if you're like me and you're a visualist, you can see what I see. I can almost close my eyes and see it. There's rubbish all around. There's still smoke coming up from, from where the fire has burned the gates of the city. And they're in a time of discouragement. And they just thought there's no hope. It's hopeless in our situation. But then for the first time in 70 years, they get together in this temple. It's been torn down for 70 years. They get together for the first time. And the man of God said the first thing we are going to do is we are going to rebuild the altar of our God. Before the foundation was laid, the altar of God was built. Before a wall ever was constructed, alright? Like I said last week, before they got pedicures in air condition, which they didn't have just in case somebody didn't realize that today, alright, before that happened, there's an altar in the Can I tell you that the center of it all ought to be an altar? When we get ready to do something, you know the first place we should go? Sometimes we go to a church building and we think the building's going to save us, but it's not the building that saves us. It's the altar that actually is going to save us. Somebody got to help me preach that. And so what I'm telling you is the very first thing, the center of your life should be the altar of God. Don't get so tied up and wrapped up in this world that other things mean more to you than your personal altar. Don't get so wrapped up you have to drive or the house you have to live in, that you forget that this world is only fading away day after day. And one day this world, just like Jerusalem, it's going to be torn down. It's going to be burned with fire. There's only one thing that's going to stand, and that is our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Really, what's going to matter is if we have it all or not. That's really the foundation of everything. So first off, they rebuilt the altar. We talked about that. Clear the rubble. Lay the stones. They gathered for the first time in 70 years. Secondly, they reinstituted true worship. Alright? And this is good. We talked a little bit about the difference in praise and worship. I'm not going to go into that very, very deep because I don't have time to. Thirdly, they got organized. 
outside, but it really is. Let me say that. Ezra chapter 3. In the second month, the second year of their coming to the house of God, Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of their brethren, the priests, the Levites, all those who had come out of the captivity to Jerusalem, they began work and appointed. You see that word, right? Appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to watch to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. The word that, I, that comes to mind is very simple. It is organization. Can you imagine a church without organization? What will the Lord? Let's do it this way. We understand earthly terms better. Can you imagine a business without organization? How many of you have been to McDonald's lately? And you went to order your sandwich and you told them, all that I want on this sandwich is cheeks. That is all that I want today. I don't want your lettuce. I don't want your onion. I just want cheese on that cheeseburger. When you get it, it is all the way to bacon. And you think to yourself, what's wrong with these people? You ordered a diet coat because you want to watch calories. Along with your Big Mac. And you ordered your diet drink, and all of a sudden, when you take that first sip, or you diet coat drinkers, you know what I'm talking about. You can taste that sugar in that regular coke, and it's nasty now, isn't it? So, all right, I got a couple diet drinkers. Congratulations, you're on the club. You ordered it, but they give you exactly. And you know what we leave that place saying? That's poor management. Is that not what we say? There's a lack of organization. Who had the structure is not intact. Whoever's supposed to be over those, put those cheese on there and those lettuce on, they didn't read the menu or whoever took the order. They took it wrong. But somewhere or another, there was a breakdown in this organization. We have seen it. Amen. And we blamed it on management. What about God's church? Do you understand that God's church is meant to be organized? Do you understand that God's church isn't just on humanly built that we go gather in and we're a bunch of rednecks trying to go to heaven? That's not what God calls me. God said, I want this church to be together. Oh, God have mercy. Even a cursory study, that means a hasty or quick study of God's creation, would point you to this, this, this inescapable conclusion that the God that we serve, that what God does, He does in a highly ordered fashion. God is not divided. God is not confused. When God gets ready to do something, it is done in a highly orderly fashion. It is done methodically. Every move He makes, every chip that He moves, it all is to fall into a greater place, a greater plan. This is the God that you serve. That is why when you look over your life and you say, I don't understand why this and that is going on. I don't understand why this happened to me. And God is saying, hey, hey, just hold on. I've got this thing all in control. It's all in an order. I knew this was coming. I planned for this. Even before the world was like, I knew who you would be. I knew what you would do. I knew what would happen. Sometimes when you think you're getting off course, it's actually God bringing you back on course. This God doesn't do anything with confusion. He is highly organized. He brought the cosmos out of chaos. That means the universe, the stars, the sun, the moon, everything that you see. And you cannot see. God brought it out of pain in Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. This 
symmetry. That means that is perfect balance. He put laws in the flesh. The laws of motion. The laws of heat and thermodynamics. He took the law of gravity. Thank you, sir. I we understand what gravity means. You know what gravity is? It's the reason I'm able to stand here today and not float up in my head on the ceiling. But you go to outer space, what happens? Gravity gets way. And you're floating around and your muscles are dying. But oh, somebody's got to see that. It's the law of gravity. God has done everything in an orderly fashion. The Genesis account creation, it shows deliberation, coordination, priority, and master planning. Do you plan? Do you understand that what happens? I looked this up the other day. What happens if the sun were to tilt one degree? One degree. Are, are y'all with me? One itsy bitsy degree. That's nothing. I want to prove to you that the God that I serve wants organization and symmetry. He wants everybody on the same page. When he made that sun, if it were to tilt one degree, the seasons would automatically change. Your summer, your winter, your fall, all that stuff, everything would go into chaos. One degree of a tilt and everything changes. A matter of fact, climate change. They would know what climate change is because it would really start burning things up. One degree. The tide that we know that we call every day, so it's coming in at this time, it's going out. We couldn't do that anymore. One tilt of the sun is going to change all our tides. Now, I need an atheist to come tell me that a Big Bang Theory did that. I need an atheist to convince me that all of a sudden it just went bam, bang, and all of a sudden all this stuff lies in the place and everything is perfect. I've got news for them. It is not a Big Bang Theory. This is a great God. He is a God that created Elohim is his name. And he's a God of creation. He's the one that did this and he did it with perfect organization. Because that is how God functions, how God operates. But when you study and you look up what scientists have said about this, you know the smart people. The people that are so smart that they're dumb. You know what I Or that think they're smarter than they are. When you Google it and you try to figure it out, even ask, ask your little AI, all right, that they come out with chat, GPT, ask them sometime and see what they've got to say about it. Do you know what all the studies I found said? They said it is very, very highly unlikely that anything like this would happen. Not a tilt, not one tilt of the sun. Do you know why? Because of its stability. Oh, man, they taught me more when I was coming up as a kid in Sunday school. We used to walk out, we used to sing that song. I had no idea what I was singing, but now I understand. He holds the whole world in his hands. That is why it's so stable. It is not because this earth is just getting better and better and better. No, this world's getting worse and worse. It is because the hand of God is stable. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I change not. And because I don't change, everything else is going to stay in perfect position. Boy, y'all know that's good. Even if you don't shout amen. God is the master organizer, the master orchestrator. We must be deadened in our senses not to catch this, not to grab that, to miss this. We have a God of order. The human body. 
God. This human body, it is so highly organized, which means that my body is so complex. It is so intricate in detail. It is so sophisticated that one simple nerve, I pulled one up too long ago. Let me tell you something, honey. One insignificant nerve can change your life forever. This body is so sophisticated. My goodness, even doctors cannot figure it out. There are times that they sit back and they still don't under. They are constantly studying the body, trying their best to learn more and more about you. would think it'd be that complicated. But it is. That is how sophisticated this God that we serve was when he made us. Do you understand that this is what David said? He grabbed a hold to it one day. And he proclaimed with a holy fear, holy awe, and a holy reverence. When he said, I will praise you, Lord, for I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul knows very well. My God, he understood this body is power. See? Now, when you look at the church in the Bible, the illustration that God chooses to give definition to who the church is and what the church will be. Anybody want to guess? Anybody want to know what to use? Stay with me, people. What did he use? We are the blank of Christ. We are the body of Christ. So when God gets ready to give the nature, the definition of who his church is, what his church is supposed to look like, he uses me and you, the body, this highly organized, highly sophisticated thing we call a body, is what God uses. And this is what my church is going to look like. Oh my God, have mercy. This is so powerful. I want you to understand this is amazing, highly organized, incredibly efficient, packed with hope and potential. If we could just grasp how much of a difference we could make in this community, if we could just grasp right now how much difference we could make in our country, if we would even think bigger and dare to dream the difference we could make in the United States of America. Let's go a little further. Even the entire world. God has set the body apart we're unlike anything this world's ever seen. God said, Paul wrote it best, and he said of this body, he said, how can the hand say to the arm, arm, I do not need you. I've got news for the hand. It would look mighty weird if my hand was up there on my shoulder, and reaching stuff would be nearly impossible. It's an extension of the body. That's why Jesus said, you become the arms of Christ. You become the legs, the feet that carry the gospel. You are the hands that are outreached to the world and you touch them in their darkness and in their pain. You're the answer. Listen, I said it last week, I'm going to say it again. The answer for the world is not in the world. The answer to your worldly problems it is not in worldly people. The answer to the world's ails is Jesus Christ our Savior. There's something that we must do. 
We must display unity. That's right. Unity. We are working together. As beautiful as it is, we are diverse. That's why I love God's body. I said it the other day. God's body looks different. Sometimes it's different colors. Sometimes it's different nationalities. Sometimes it's different people in a different socioeconomical situation. I mean, God brings us all together. Good job. 
Lord's cohesively that had come together. 2,000 of them of the congregation of demons got together and said, we're going to destroy this man's life. Chains cannot hold him. We're going to empower him. We're going to put fear into the people of God. But when Jesus stepped up, I'm glad to tell you, he knows how to rip the glue off. Hallelujah to God. And he rebuked that devil and leave him have the freedom. Oh, because the Son of God stepped on the church in her infancy when she is young. You find that when a need became obvious, guess what they did? They organized together. They started a food program. A matter of fact, it was for the widows. See, when they get to preaching in Acts 6, they said, man, we remember Jesus. This is her infancy, meaning she is a baby. This is the new church. After Jesus is gone, a church that God said would have power. And they said Jesus used to serve bread to his people. One time he served with, with only two fish and five loaves of bread. History says that over or the Bible says that 5,000 men, besides women and children, were fed, which means probably 25,000 people were fed with bread. So if Jesus had a food program, we're going to have a food program. But the disciples were trying to do the food program. And God said, your job isn't the food program. Your job is to preach the word. Open up your Bible sometime. It'll be really interesting. He said, you appoint seven men. And those seven men are going to be in an organizational structure. And they're going to know what they're supposed to do, when they're supposed to do it. And we're going to start a food program. And the twelve are going to go out and they're going to preach like they're supposed to. Lay hands on the sick and they shall grow. They're going to do the work of ministry that God has called them for. They got Chapter 4, there's a five-fold ministry. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. What is their job? To equip the body, a.k.a. also known as saints, for the working of ministry, and it will bring edification to the body of Christ. When Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he told them over and over, this is what your church should look like. And he shows them a pattern of organization. Healthy things grow. They got organized. And I'm going to leave you with this. I'm going to let you go home. Fourthly, implementation happened. Does anybody know what implementation means? All right, I'm going to help you in just a minute. Ezra chapter 3.10. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood there with herald trumpets, the Levites, Sunday Sabbath symbols, they praised the Lord. They sang a song praising him, giving thanks to God. He's good. His mercy endures forever towards us. Then all the people shouted with a great shout, and they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Scripture is always interesting to me, but many of the priests and Levites and heads of the fathers' houses, the old men who had seen the first temple, they went with a loud voice when the foundation of the temple was laid before their eyes, yet many shouted aloud for joy. Listen, so that the people could not discern whether it was a noise of a shout of joy or a noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud voice and the sound was heard afar off. They wept. Now whether they wept because of tears of joy or whether they wept because they were living in the past. There are others that are shouting for glory. The house was finally going up. The foundation was laid. And we often find this is the hardcore truth that rips many of our churches apart because there are those that weep for the good old days and the younger ones that are just glad that we're moving forward now. 
It might just be the most obvious truth, however, that I've ever preached. I'm convinced this is one of the most crucial to spiritual and to personal growth. All the planning in the world without implementation is nothing less than an aborted dream. It is a dying vision if we don't do something with it. It has been said that to get the job finished, half the job finished, it is started when you just start the work. In other words, starting is half the job. Somebody has to do something. I don't always get the jobs I start finished. For you husbands that don't know what I'm talking about, it's called a honey to-do list. Anybody got one? Wives, if you haven't given your husband one, shame on you. You ought to write it this evening. The men of the church just went against the pastor. That honey to-do list. There's one thing, this is the truth that I've learned. I may have a list and I may not always get jobs I start finishing. But this one thing I have learned in my age, it is this, and it is I will never finish jobs that I do not start. I would rather start than to not start at all. Too many people I come in contact with have spent their lives planning to live. One of these days I'll do this. One of these days I'll do that. But one of these days, unless defined, do you know, have initiated it becomes another lost opportunity. You must get started now. When I look at the body of Christ today, go to the piano singer, I'm closing. When I look at the body of Christ today, I see something different than you may see. Because I believe that within this body there is a hero in some of you folks sitting here that is yet to emerge out of you. There is ministry in some men and women in this church. Maybe it's down there. Maybe God's planted a seed. I don't know. But there's some things inside of you that God is trying to get out. And I'm telling you, just like they built the house of God back then, I'm telling you it is time to do something about that. That God has put. Don't let that dream sit in you and die. Don't abort the dream of God inside of you. We need to let that thing grow. God has something he wants to do. You will never be all he wants you to be. All he will enable you to be. And all he will empower you to be. If you don't get started. So. We must do four things. We must rebuild the altar. Go to 1 Kings 18, 26. I'm going to show you this really quick. I wanted to read this last week, but time ran out on. And they took the bullock which was given them. They dressed it, called on the name of Baal from morning and the evening. This is Mount Carmel. And they said, Oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, nor any that would answer. Look at what they did. They began to leap upon the altar, which was made. These maniacs tore down the altar. But look at verse 30. This is where it gets good. And Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. Kind of like we had in our Jerusalem for seven years. Everybody get around here. I'm going to show you something. We're about to build an altar. Look, come near unto me. And all the people came near him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken. The first thing the man of God did, we got to build an altar. Now, I'm going to preach this for one minute. The problem with many of our churches and the problem with many of our lives is that we have allowed the enemy to leap on the altar and tear it down. And we don't have an altar anymore. The devil knows the importance of an altar. 
Because if your faith can connect with God, things happen in Greater things than I've ever seen before. I believe God for greater things. 
It's 12 o'clock, time for chicken. Spaghetti, thank you, Pop. This is what the Bible says. I'm going to leave you with this, and we're, we're going to sing a chorus down, and we're going to quit. It's always bad for me, man, if it really has. Jesus looks at his disciples, and he says these words. Greater things than these shall you do. Process that. Let it soak in like a sponge. I'm going to try to have a thought. The word brain came back. I'm going to it again. Greater things than these shall you do because I go to the Father and the Holy Spirit is going to fill this church. And through the Holy Ghost, you're going to do greater things than I have done. What I'm trying to tell you, this is a Jesus that John said, if we, I suppose, that if I wrote down every miracle this guy ever did, there would not even be enough room. Are y'all ready for this? To contain the books of this man's miracle. But Jesus doesn't lie. And Jesus said, greater works than these shall you. Who is he talking to? He was talking to the church. And yes, generations and get that 2,000 years worth of churches. But I'm telling you, we still got work to do. I'm just telling you that God has empowered this church. This church is not a church that should be sitting around in a bunch of rubbish with no honor and no prayer life and no power. God has called this church to do one thing. The focus point should be let us rebuild an altar. Let us The altars are open today. As Beth begins to sing, the altars are open. If you want to come pray, come on. Come have a moment with God. It's on the 12 of three. Give God a couple
Rebuild the house. We know what we got to do. Let's do it. God bless you guys. Shake hands with your friends.